Grace, thank you for, uh, for your prayer. Um, I appreciate it when those who pray uh, include not only our own needs, but also help us to see the needs of the world. So I appreciated that. Thank you so much uh, for that prayer. I'm Ken Boonstra. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be able to uh, come and to uh, worship together with you uh, this morning. Uh, it's great for me uh, to be able to be here and to see uh, many familiar faces and also uh, a, a number of new faces, uh, which is also a, a privilege for me to see as well. Uh, this morning we'll be uh, reading together from Matthew 7, but before we get there, let me just give a, a little bit of context. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus describes a, a whole new humanity. Um, the, the gospel uh, grabs a hold and forms what Daryl Johnson calls a gospelized humanity. So let me kind of uh, do a quick review of, of what Jesus has kind of said so far. He says, first of all, he says, you know, people with the character of being poor in spirit, merciful, pure in heart, he says, they are indispensable to be the world's salt and light. And then he says, these gospelized people desire to fulfill God's law, not only doing what was said, but they live what God intended. They even love God their enemies. And their movement of their hearts, says Jesus, is guided not by an admiration of others or by uh, a desire to please others. He says their movement is, is, is for an audience of one. He says you do your righteousness for God's sake. And then instead of treasuring the treasures of this world, he says uh, that only leads to anxiety, it leads to worry. He says, no, a gospelized humanity seeks first the kingdom of God. And then, in one short verse, Jesus pulls his whole sermon together. He alerts us to the one thing that sums up, fulfills the, the law and the prophets, a subject that he introduced way back in Matthew 5.17, and he does this in Matthew 7. So let's hear what Jesus has to say about the essence of a Christian life. This is Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you measure, use it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's or sister's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish, 
that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The front page of a, a major newspaper once asked about the essentials of a civil society. And they asked a number of famous people what they would say would be the essentials, what are the, the principles for living good civil life. And they reported what the Dalai Lama, Oprah Winfrey, Martin Luther King Jr., Steve Jobs, even Gandhi, what they had to say. They even lauded what Jesus had to say. The article noted that Jesus had a principle for a civil life. He said, treat others with the respect with which you'd like to be treated. But you know, Jesus was getting at way more than just a, a civil life. He shows us the essence of what Daryl Johnson calls this gospelized humanity. Jesus sums up all the law and the prophets with this important message from God. Jesus' rule of thumb for a well-lived Christian life is do to others what you would have them do to you. God's call to righteousness is captured in this one line. Jesus captures the God life with this simple statement. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. The way Christ followers live with others can be summed up in one sentence. What Christians are to be known for is captured by this simple rule. Do to others what you'd like them to do. Now, Jesus isn't the first to put forward this kind of statement. Confucius said, what you do not want done to yourself. Is this cutting out because of a battery or I'm just curious? I'll let you check. Is that better? We'll see. So Confucius said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Greek rhetorician Isocrates said, what stirs your anger when done to you by others, that do not do to others. Jewish teacher Hillel said, what's hateful to yourself, do not do to others. And after Jesus, philosopher Epictetus put it, what you avoid suffering yourself, seek not to inflict upon others. But though these all sound similar, they're not really the same. Each of them is stated negatively and passively. Refrain from doing to others what you do not want done to you. Now, Jesus' word is active, and it is positive. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Jesus' love is this active and positive force. It mirrors Jesus' summary of the law. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself is to do to your neighbor what you want done to yourself. William Shakespeare based a whole play on this single verse. Measure for Measure is the dark, disturbing comedy about Vincentio, Angelo, and Isabella. 
Vincenzo is the duke who places Angelo in charge of Vienna while he goes away. But Vincenzo really doesn't go away. He just kind of goes undercover as a priest in the community. Angelo, now that he's in charge, decides he's going to tighten up the ancient laws. So in doing so, he condemns to death Claudio because Claudio had fathered a child out of wedlock. Isabella, the condemned man's sister, pleads for his life. She tells Angelo that he too faces judgment from God. Be merciful for one day. You may need mercy, she says to Angelo. But Angelo refuses to be lenient with Claudio. But he will, on one condition, release Claudio. If Isabella sleeps with him, Isabella refuses. Now, the plot of this play of Shakespeare twists and turns, and in the end, Angelo's vice is revealed. And he pleads for death because he believes that he deserves death. But just then, the Duke, Vincentio, the undercover priest, returns. And instead of judgment, he pardons. Vincentio did to Angelo what he would have want done to himself. I think that Shakespeare here is intimating that this is the way of Jesus with us. We have been treated graciously despite our sin. We're not treated as we deserve. Rather, we're treated with grace. No wonder Martin Luther, the great Reformed theologian, said the golden rule is like saying, be your own Bible. Use yourself as an example of how to act. Consult your own interests. Look into your own heart. Discover what your desires are, and then treat others in that same way. I mean, I know I'd like to be treated with kindness and with grace. So when your children are trying your patience, ask yourself, how would I like to be treated? You wonder how to deal with your aging parents? Ask yourself, how would I like to be treated? How should the church treat those persons whose lifestyle seems inconsistent with the gospel? Ask, how would I like to be treated? When we're perplexed by issues like addiction, racism, illegal immigrants, same-sex marriage, ask yourself, how would I like to be treated? Jesus calls you to consult your own life, your own interests, your own desires. It's like the old adage, walk a mile in my shoes. How would you want people to treat you so treat them. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, if you want some example of what this looks like, consider Jesus' teaching in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 7. Notice, verse 12 begins, so whatever you wish. That word so means therefore. Therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And verses 11, 1 through 11, show us those various ways of treating others exactly in the ways we would want to be treated. Jesus begins, 
Judge not that you be not judged. I mean, this may be one of the most quoted and least understood verses in the Bible. I mean, let's be clear. Judgments happen. We make judgments every day. I mean, this morning, you decided what clothes to wear. You judged what to eat for breakfast. Judgments and making judgments is simply a part of life. This verse doesn't mean don't discern. Jesus isn't asking us to, to suspend our critical faculties. Nor does Jesus mean that we should turn a blind eye to our neighbor's faults. He doesn't mean don't make a value judgment. Jesus' whole sermon calls us to discernment. You must judge whether you're surpassing the righteousness of the religious leaders. You must judge whether you have a heart motive in prayer and giving that's right. And the end of chapter 7 calls believers to watch out for false prophets. We must judge who is a wolf wearing sheep's clothing. What Jesus means here is don't close the book on another person's life. Don't condemn. Don't condemn another person's character or life. For one thing, we don't know all the facts. There may be circumstances that explain the reason for certain behaviors. A grocery clerk once wrote a letter to advice columnist Ann Landers a long time ago, and she, she complained about a, a person who, who spent $17 on a cake, and she used her food stamps to do it. That's a U.S. thing, food stamps. Do they have food stamps in Canada? No. The clerk, the clerk she said, couldn't believe that someone would spend their hard-earned handout money on non items. So a few days later, a woman wrote to Ann Landers and she said, I'm the woman who bought the $17 cake and I paid for it with my food stamps. I thought the checkout person would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know was that the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It'll be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone six to eight months from now. Don't condemn, says Jesus, because you never know what other people are dealing with. We're also not to judge, because condemnation is God's prerogative. Only God makes a final judgment. If we close the book on another person's life, we pridefully take God's place. Bottom line, says Jesus, we must realize that we will be judged by the standard we use. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Use God's ruler, not your own. There was once a, a baker and a farmer, and the, the baker was suspicious that the, the farmer was cheating him on a pound of butter. He weighed the butter, it came up short, so he took the farmer to court. The judge asked the farmer, well, do you have scales? The farmer said that he did. The judge asked, well, do you have weights? The farmer said, well, no, I don't. Well, the judge said, well, how is it then that you're able to accurately weigh the butter that you sent to your neighbor without a set of weights? 
And the farmer replied, well, that's really easy, said. I've been using the baker's one-pound loaves to balance my scales. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother or sister's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own eye? So often our judgments of another person's reflects our own sin and failure. We often project our own sin onto the other person. Treat others as you would like to be treated, says Jesus. You don't want anybody to close the book on you. Don't close the book on others. In fact, Jesus points out that we're to help the other person stay on track. Just as we would like others to help us stay on track. Look what Jesus says. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. See, correcting our brother or our sister is the right move. But first, we need to do business with ourselves. It's easy for us to usurp the place of God. We figure we're righteous and everyone else is not. The problem is, the trouble is, we're experts in sawdust and novices at planks. We're righteous in our own eyes. We condemn and criticize others, but fail to acknowledge our own failings. We suffer from plank and eye syndrome. Linus says to Lucy, why are you always anxious to criticize me? Lucy replies, I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults. Linus asks, well, what about your own faults? And Lucy replies, I have a knack for overlooking them. I mean, the picture that Jesus gives is hilarious. How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? A log in your eye makes you blind. You, you could trip over the log. You might just knock people over with that kind of log. Jesus is not telling us to lower our standards. We need to let each other know if we're off track. I mean, Jesus says this much, much later in Matthew when he tells us, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Now, Jesus has very high standards for the Christian community and how we're to behave as a Christian community. We're called to keep each other on track. But our first order of business, says Jesus, is with ourselves. We stand before the cross. We ask the Lord who died for us to correct us, to judge us, to cleanse us. Remove the obstructions from my eye, Lord. We will not reach the other person to get them back on track if we have a log standing in the way of our seeing accurately. N.T. Wright says, the very people who seem most eager to tell others what to do, or more likely what not to do, are the people who should take a long look in the mirror. We can blind ourselves to our own sin and shortcomings. We forget the grace that we need and that others are entitled to just as well as we are. But when we reach out to our brother and sister, when we're trying to get them back on track, Jesus says, do so sensitively. 
That's the meaning of 7 verse 6. Don't give dogs what's holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. Jesus is reminding us to hold the message of the kingdom in very high regard. No matter how wise your words, our words might be, the other person may not be ready to receive them. So again, we have to check our own motives. Sometimes we have to to reach out to others we, we, our desire to reach out to others is only to control them. We try to, to, to see if we can't handle their lives. To force the gospel on people who are not ready to receive it is to devalue the gospel. It is, says Jesus, like dressing pigs in pearl necklaces. It becomes meaningless. Richard Foster, the author of the book, The Celebration of Discipline, tells of a time that his son, Nathan, was disillusioned with the church. And Nathan was very afraid to be honest with his dad because his dad had given his whole life to serve God in the church. But one day, Nathan decided. He he told his dad he had nothing at all against God. He just didn't see the point of going to church. And Richard Foster replied, Well, sadly, he says, there are many churches today uh, that are simply organized ways of keeping people from God. Well, you can imagine, Nathan was quite surprised by his dad's response. But he launched then into a cynical rant about the church. He wondered why the church failed to serve the poor and be a force for racial and economic justice. He wondered why he found it that that it was so much easier to to discover grace from worn-out people at the bar than from people who stand with him in the church pew. And, And more, he says, why is it that pastors can't be real humans with real problems instead of kind of like overworked rock stars? And Foster smiled and said, good questions, Nathan overworked rock stars. He says, that's really funny. He says, you've obviously, obviously put some thought into this. And his son was just shocked. His rant didn't phase his dad. His dad didn't blow him off. He didn't put him down. I'm on. Nathan actually looked forward to conversations with his dad. And it became a turning point in Nathan's life. Foster's acknowledgement of the church's flaws, his acceptance of his son's struggles, and his gracious replies met Nathan where he was at. And that's what Jesus means about throwing pearls before pigs. Sensitive to where people are where they are. Don't give them more than they can handle. And then Jesus points out the best way to avoid a judgmental spirit. Pray for others. We can graciously and inoffensively help others by praying for them. When you find yourself wanting to judge someone, pray for them. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now why would Jesus talk about praying at this point? I mean, why didn't he conclude his teaching on the Lord's Prayer by saying, 
Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Jesus is teaching us to pray for those we want to judge. Rather than condemning, we're to ask, seek, and knock for them. The most gracious and redemptive way to avoid a critical and judgmental spirit is to pray for those that we want to criticize. The most gracious and redemptive way to help our brothers and sisters who rub us the wrong way is to pray for them. Someone suggested that maybe churches should uh, all have a new bylaw, and that is we're not to speak a critical word about anyone unless we've prayed for them for 48 hours. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says God's plan is for us to be a community of prayerful love. Instead of judgmentalism or wasted pearls, We offer requests to God for others. We pray others into Jesus' presence. We do to others what we want them done to us, asking, seeking, knocking, loving as we would want to be loved. And notice, Jesus doesn't offer any qualifiers. He doesn't say, if you do this, then this will happen. He simply says, ask, seek, knock. It's that simple. In fact, verse 8 literally says, For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Something happens in the asking, seeking, knocking. We meet the Father. When we ask and seek and knock on behalf of others, on behalf of those that we want to judge, we meet the Father who is the source of everything good. Look, says Jesus, if you who are evil can give good gifts, how much more will our Father, who is perfect, give good gifts to those who ask? How much more will our Father, who was gracious with us, not offer grace to those whom we want to judge? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says that praying for another is the most significant thing that we can do. Here's what Bonhoeffer says. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercessions of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer hate or condemn another person for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble that person causes me. See, what happens is the person becomes transformed in my prayers. Rather than seeing them as an enemy that I would like to judge, as a person worthy of my criticism and condemnation, I begin to see them as a brother or a sister in Christ. Bonhoeffer says, to make intercession is to grant our brothers and sisters the same right we have received, to stand in the presence of Christ and receive mercy. God's Spirit at work in us moves us beyond condemnation. Rather than judge, we pray. We ask, seek, and knock on behalf of the brother or sister who troubles us in order to bring them into the presence of our Father in heaven. In this statement, Jesus just puts it to us again. 
as we follow him into this golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, in order to find that the center of our life begins to shift, we simply ask ourselves, how would we want to be treated? I know how I want to be treated. I don't want anybody to close the book on me. I want the room to grow, to change. I don't want anybody to to jump to conclusions about me. I want to be helped back on track by the person who has done a thorough plank inventory in their own life. I don't want someone to judge me. I want to be brought into the presence of God's mercy and grace. I want to be carried to the foot of the cross. I want others to ask and seek and knock for Christ's life in me. Jesus' teaching is simple. As I want done to me, so I'm to do to others. In relating to another person, I'm to consult my own best interests so that I can discover how to act toward another and, and then surprisingly discover that my self-interest begins to fade. For those who are born anew into Jesus Christ, who, who live by faith in Him, God's rule for life is clear in everything. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. Let's pray. Uh, Great and and gracious God, you never treated us as we deserved. You treated us out of the rich storehouse of your love. You offered us grace upon grace upon grace. And I know for me, I've often been hard-hearted and thick-headed and I've not always seen your grace. And yet you continue to invite me to do to others whatever I would want done to myself. There's a few people in my life I'd rather not do that to. And I suspect, God, that some of us right now can think of those people that we'd rather not do that to. And so right now, We're going to take this moment to pray for them, to pray for those we'd like to condemn, to pray for those we'd like to judge, to pray for those that we would rather not see receive your grace, to ask and seek and knock so that your grace will enter their lives. So we take just this moment to pray for those.
Father, hear our prayer. Enter with your grace into their lives and continue to change me. Help me to get rid of planks, the logs that prevent me from seeing, and to rediscover each new day your grace and mercy as we find it in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.